being programmed to chill a show about business crime parapolitics and esoterica with your host jimmy fallon gong Alright, now today I would like to introduce a young new author with an incredible short story collection published by Apocalypse Confidential. That is to say, Incurable Graphomania by Anna Krivolapova. No, 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 wait. Anna. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Anna Krivolapova. Krivolapova, huh? Yes, perfect. Okay, thank you. Perfect. So. so I think the back of the book describes the stories as 14 stories of voyeurism, paranoia, defense contractors, Russian stewardesses, venomous wasps, and more. Excellent stuff. How are you doing today, Anna? I'm doing great, and I'm so happy to be on Program to Chill, because <laughs> this is one of my favorite podcasts of all time. Thank you. I have to say, your, your best I think might be um, Leonard Lake mm. and the Young Dolph podcast. Thank you so much. I worked hard on those. <laughs> the Young Dolph one is how I break people into parapolitics because a lot of people have a vested interest in him. And it's a good jumping off point for anyone who's kind of willing to dip their toe into parapolitics. Yeah, because it's sort of like... You know how, like, in every film noir, the underlying plot is, like, some arcane real estate scam? I think I've even said that in the Young Dolph episode, but it's like, yeah, because everything is some stupid arcane real estate scam. That's, yes, like, inherent vice. Mm -hmm. Exactly. <laughs> Not only that, but, you know, he was, he was killed on Thanksgiving, right? Or right before? Right about, I think, yeah, something like that. That's also very, um, that's almost like a Francis Ford Coppola film, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. To be killed while getting turkeys for charity or coats. Yeah, like picking, he was like picking up cookies for like his family or something. But like he also was doing like a turkey event like the same day or something. Yeah. Very almost like New Jack City and shit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very Don't Be a Menace. Mm-hmm. I love that movie. <laughs> no, for sure. And like reading your short story collection, I really do feel like you do have the, that set of interests that, you know, my show also has like for sure, like very cool stuff. Definitely. Um, I especially, I, so I grew up in DC after I moved mm -hmm. from Russia and I was thinking last night when I was reading, so I, I reread Program to Kill mm -hmm. right before coming on this show, which if anyone hasn't, I mean, everyone who's listening to this probably has read it, but if anyone hasn't, trust me, you'll read it in three days. You won't be able to put it down. Mm -hmm. the, the connections and everything, um, but I think especially in, in Russian culture, 
we have so many incidents like these. Um, one of my first jobs in college, um, so in college I, I taught Russian and I also did some freelance translation work. And one of my first jobs was helping a journalism grad student interview a man who had, who was a journalist who had basically put a judge in, like, he didn't put him in prison, he tried to, but um, he had a knowledge that a judge in their medium town was a pedophile, and so he was exposing hmm. him. And then one day he walks home, he's right at his building, he doesn't remember anything for a week, wakes up in prison. He was, there's actually CCTV footage of it. He was hit in the head by a group of people. And then when he was, also this is all alleged, obviously. And, okay, what I'm telling you right now is the story that he was given by the prison mm -hmm. nurses. They said that he was caught on camera vandalizing that judge's car and stalking him. And so he was arrested and when he was arrested he was so intoxicated that they just locked him up which is obviously not true mm -hmm. you know he had just walked home from work he his wife saw him walking into the building and that was mm -hmm. the last thing she saw and then he disappeared so this grad student was interviewing him and it was kind of funny because so he was in prison and he had like a little bootleg cell phone to call his wife with and his wife was video chatting with us. And so I was translating real time. And this guy's just sitting there joking, joking about the bed. He's like, oh, it just feels like summer camp. You know, he's he's obviously got this little illicit phone that nobody knows about, but he's still downplaying it. And his wife had to explain all the shoddy police work and every step of the way when they were lying. And I was thinking about this when I was rereading Program to Kill, and I was thinking about how many times this happens. And it hmm. probably will continue to happen throughout human history. And so I think I think your your podcast and everyone who's involved in parrot politics is doing a huge service just to not let it happen so blatantly. Mm -hmm. In some ways, it's just the art of noticing things, which is, of course quite related to the act of creating literature, I imagine, right? Exactly. I was thinking about this in the context of Philip K. Dick as well. Mm. Um, Philip K. Dick is a very good example of proximity and intuition coming together to create a, a person who's not only an incredible thinker, but incredible noticer, mm. uh, a maker of connections. I'm specifically referring to a scanner darkly though mm. above all his work that one is the most hyper realistic most relevant to our day for sure absolutely did you know that it was based off of the lexington kentucky drug farm no but i i can see that now that you say it <laughs> So it was based off his experiences in rehab um, at Ex Calais, which was on, oh no, I don't remember the name of the island. Something, it might even be, it's not Sheep, Sheepshead Bay, but there's an island 
off of Vancouver in British Columbia, where Philip K. Dick was in rehab. Mm. And before that, he had sent, he had done some time at the Lexington, Kentucky drug farm, which was a total free for all. Was that the facility like in Lexington, Kentucky? Yes, it was, it was a Lexington prison that also had a farm. Okay. And it also had a lab where they tested narcotics. Because they also did fucking MK Ultra shit at that facility. Absolutely. Thousand percent. Mm-hmm. Kentucky and Jersey were really big MK Ultra spots on the East Coast. One of my favorite nutritionists, um, Carl Pfeiffer, mm-hmm. was a big MK Ultra doctor. There's a photo of him laughing in a chair with some other guy squirting acid into his mouth. Which is a really eerie photo because of how jolly, pun intended, <laughs> they look. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have a lot to say about Jolly West, West later. Ooh, interesting. Yeah. Now, so I should get this out of the way up top. Okay. You might have to forgive me if I bring up Russian stuff too much because I am a minor Slavaboo. Like, at one point I was learning Russian, but... Honestly, I got too busy. So really, it just means I know the Cyrillic alphabet and like a handful of words. But Mm -hmm. still, like I'm an enthusiast of it. And I really liked how that was in Incurable Graphomania, but like not in like the hack way that some diaspora literature can sometimes be. You know what I mean? Thank you for saying that, because I think it's so... Uh, I want to soften the blow of the words I was about to choose were not very charitable. I hate it when people do that. Um, mm. I, I think it's very, um, I don't think you should trash your home country. Right. Even if you're a refugee, don't trash your culture. Find a way to bridge that gap, especially in literature, especially if you come from a country that the United States is actively participating in propaganda warfare with, mm-hmm. why feed that fire? Okay, if you're like, you know, a little a little spy, you're getting paid, whatever, I understand, rents due on the first, still shameful. But a lot of people are doing this for free. Yeah. Because it sells books. Yeah, a lot of trotting out one's family traumas or nation's traumas for really not a lot of money (laughs) exactly i think my goal is uh this which which is i admit this is equally corny but american and russian culture is very similar and our patterns Mm. are very similar we have the same issue of huge country broken up into little mosaics a lot of money being shuffled around these corrupt local governments the police are extremely corrupt in both the united states and russia mm-hmm. and um there are so many similarities yeah people said that a lot during the cold war that it was so ironic but it's like okay is it irony or is it like you know it does it stand a reason on a certain level You know, it doesn't, it shouldn't have to be, but like, it does make sense that two countries so similar would sometimes hate each other the way two people who are alike sometimes hate each other. Because they're in direct competition. Mm -hmm. And so many incredible 
technological and scientific discoveries have come out of Russia. Um, you know, it's such an educated nation. Not so much now, but especially in the Soviet Union. I mean, everyone in my mother's generation is so educated mm -hmm. and very humble about it, very well read, very interesting thinkers, very skeptical. That's another thing that sent me down the parapolitical water slide is that I've always been very, very skeptical. That's just how I was raised and how I grew up. Mm -hmm. and what comes intuitively no for sure like i i hear what you're saying uh yeah. let's see here oh i so i wanted to ask was that a uh Chebaroshka reference in one of these stories i feel like i forgot to write down which one but some like it orange yes that's it was i was like ah, uh, i know a few a couple things about russia <laughs> should i read that line out loud Sure. Okay. It's I'm impressed because it was a very subtle Chiburashka reference. Okay, so I'll re I'll introduce it with the paragraph up ahead of it as well. Three days later, she woke up in her bed with a vague memory of being kicked off a train. There was no baby and no crane Craig in the apartment. She was naked and her hair was still wet, freshly washed, smelling like her apple shampoo. Her muscles had that bleached, weak, dehydrated feeling, like she'd been drinking on the outside. There were bruises on her arms and shins. Her knees were scraped, but the wounds were clean. One of them even looked half-healed. The TV was on in the living room. A continuous five-minute loop of a cartoon she watched as a little kid. A little brown mammal with satellite dish ears was fast asleep in a box of oranges. She turned off the TV. Yes. That was a Chiburashka reference. <laughs> Chiburashka is a very mysterious cartoon. Yeah, for the listeners, maybe uh, should we just say what it is for those who Absolutely. don't know? So Chiburashka is a small mammal... He's a little brown, cute, big ears. He, there's speculation of where he's from. And on, on Russian internet, there's so many memes about this that, um, like, Chiburashka's from Israel, Israeli, <laughs> because the only country that exported oranges to Russia in 1967 was Israel. Mm. So, my mom says, no, there's no way. He was from Morocco. <laughs> I don't know where she got that. But Chiburashka's Israeli little plant, transplant. <laughs> it's, a, it's like this little thing that looks like somewhat kind of like a like a monkey, kind of like a, like a Pokemon. You would almost believe it could be a Pokemon. Like, Definitely. Very cute little cartoon guy. So he's he wakes up in a box of oranges and gets adopted by Krokodil Gena. Yes, Krokodil like the drug, but <laughs> it means crocodile. And it's a very nice crocodile who plays the accordion and they have little adventures. And it, it, it makes me cry whenever I hear the intro music. It's so nostalgic. But yeah, Chiburashka is almost like the face of Russia in a way. Everyone saw that cartoon when they were little. 
yeah no it's great because there's like there's the russian stuff but for sure it's like not the focus neither but like there's so many interesting influences in this stew of like short stories so like let's kind of like go through a couple of them before we get into more of the maybe the meatier themes of like program to chill oriented content so like what influenced you to write these things so what influenced me to write these things was uh honestly number first of all my dreams and things i've experienced in real life mm -hmm. in a way everything in this book has really happened mm -hmm. and maybe one day when i if i'm feeling brave i'll really parse through fiction and and non-fiction because i think people would be either horrified or entertained about how much of this is real life um especially heart of a dog and mm. reagan blair manifesto and jersey devil's breath mm. i so i'm very inspired by joan didion mm. She is, I'm not a huge fan of nonfiction, right. but she's incredible. Her, her way of maintaining neutrality and including the smallest details, she's, I mean, she's a genius. And um, so I think in terms of nonfiction, the three most inspiring writers for me were Joan Didion, Dave McGowan, and Louis Yablonsky. Are you familiar mm. with him? I've heard the name, but I, I confess I have not, not familiar. So Louis Yablonsky was a Jewish sociologist from New York, and his he's most famous for his study of Synanon and for his study of violent gangs in New York. Okay, not what I... Okay, not what I was thinking, but this is ringing a different bell. Continue, please. I discovered him because I collect the Blue Spine Penguin classics. I don't mm -hmm. care what they're about. I'm buying them when I see them. <laughs> and one day I found one that was called Robopaths. And it had a very interesting cover of a man smoking a cigarette and He's got like a little wind up key in the back. And this is a book about the disassociation that a lot of people experience. Uh, Louis Yablonsky, he went through different causes and effects of this extremely like disassociated society, um, which, in my opinion, I think it's a perfect. Um, follow-up or even something to read before you read program to kill mm. because he really goes through how society was behaving um let me double check the year i believe mm. it was the 70s but uh one moment but Louis Yablonsky, he was, he was a very, um, how do you say, like, he was an optimist, and he was extremely charitable to very violent 
people. You know, that's that's actually why he's famous. You know, he he worked really hard to get um, people involved in gang violence off of death row. Or mm. all, all around the country. And his book on Synanon was actually, it's kind of infamous because he was very excited about Synanon. He thought it was a great program. He had a lot of hope for everyone involved. Um, that book is fascinating. He, I've been doing my own research based on it because in some places he doesn't use names. He just says Hollywood producer or Hollywood actor that were had gone to Synanon for rehab. And I've been doing a little research, trying to put details together, figure out who these people are. And it's quite difficult. But Synanon is a huge obsession of mine because of troubled teen camps. Mm. When I was growing up, I grew up in an area where there was a huge wealth disparity. And some of my friends who grew up very, very wealthy uh, their parents would pay for them to go to trouble teen camps. And I have one friend in particular who, um, he got gooned. Do you know what that is? Is that the, uh, where they do the kidnapping? Is that? Yes. Mm. He got gooned, sent to a wilderness camp where he was sexually assaulted, mm. escaped. He got caught, flown back to D.C., put in, I almost named the facility, Oops. Um, he was put in a facility, a mental facility, where he was sexually assaulted again by his cellmate, and he was put on antipsychotics, gained about 150 pounds, and was, last time I saw him, he was, like, drooling on himself. So I have a very, very, very invested interest in understanding and condemning troubled teen camps. He's not the only person whose life was completely fucked by these institutions that are not even, they're not regulated. They're Mormon money laundering a lot of the mm -hmm. times. They're often connected to human trafficking, pedophilia, sex trafficking, of course, I mean, um, drug running a lot of these children are actually groomed to then be the abusive uh slave drivers at these camps right which is horrible you know it's it's like a it's like an aerobarous system you know so synanon is super high on my shit list because they still exist undoubtedly there's so much money and power and they are completely above the law, which is something a lot of people can't wrap their heads around. Yeah, no, it's definitely like, um, kind of like several cults before everything comes crashing down where they're just like spending money on lobbying. Like the politicians have direct financial ties to them, like very yes. fucked up. I am actually working on a novel that goes very deep into troubled teen camps. Mm. Uh, I connect Boys Town to 
the current troubled teen camps, the Mormon ones, you know, which are often based in Provo, um, which have he- hit headlines because of Paris Hilton, mm-hmm. which is a very surprising plot twist because I that happened right as I was starting to get into researching troubled teen camps. And then suddenly Paris Hilton is all over the news exposing them. And it's really disappointing how completely ineffective that was. Yeah, it didn't really end up going anywhere. Did not end up going anywhere. Getting gooned is very expensive and it's done it's done so often. It's it's really incredible how that's legal. Mm-hmm. It just blows my mind. It makes me so angry. It seems like such a insane practice too because it's like you know what if like a kid flagged down a cop like then there's like a group of people who have a legal right to abduct children or youth and like you know so immediately like there's the potential that like a gooning could just be a normal kidnapping and they just say that it's like it's completely insane to have this as a practice and it's extremely traumatizing and completely obliterates the bond between parent and child Mm-hmm. forever i think that i think that's the one of the most damaging aspects of it is the child has no bond with anyone ever again the trust is broken irreparably if you want your kid to be a ineffective isolated drug addict send them to one of these camps you'll get exactly your wish it's so messed up Absolutely.
Okay, so you said Joan Didion was a major influence. Did you mention the Time Life books? No, not yet. Um, but <laughs> so I was one of those kids who learned to read at four mm-hmm. and couldn't stop reading. And one of my first books was I remember I was at the thrift store with my mom and I saw these beautiful books with kind of like holographic covers and letters. And there was a big stack of them. And I was like, Mom, can we please get this set? And she said, of course. And it was the Time Life books, Mysteries of the Unknown. (laughs) Oh, you know what's funny is that Uh I literally was describing these on a different episode. Mm -hmm. Possibly even one with Reed. I'm not sure. But yeah. uh, (laughs) And I couldn't remember what they were called, but it was the same exact like black books. Yeah. That's so funny. (laughs) So I was way too little. I was maybe four or five. And I was sounding out all these words. And there's so many photos. My favorite one was the Unexplained Deaths one, where they talk about Marilyn and JFK. Mm. And the photo of Marilyn face down I'm not sure if it was a photo or a description of it, but I just saw it so vividly in my mind. And I think I never, I never got over that. I never stood a chance to me. I was <laughs> always, I was born paranoid. <laughs> and then um, I also had an older brother who loved X-Files mm. and you know how it is with older siblings, they get to decide and X-Files really scared me, but I loved it. I still love it. I do think that, you know, it's, um, what's the, what's the word, you know, like controlled, not controlled opposition, but you know, like the X-Files is kind of getting in front of a narrative, right? 
Yeah, like a not quite limited hangout, but something akin to it. Definitely. But I still love it. I still enjoy it. Even the newest episodes that everyone hates. <laughs> I There's this one where Mulder does mushrooms and dances to Achy Breaky Heart. I mean, come on. That's <laughs> great television. <laughs> That's and, so um, funny. It's incredible. And another... So other media that really influenced me is um the sort of the anima of true crime and paranoia basically lifetime jillian flynn carolyn kepnes carolyn kepnes is the woman who wrote the you series mm. which they became a netflix show so they've been forever branded with like you know bimbo literature stamp but let me tell you, what a smart woman. I love Carolyn Kepnes. I think she's a genius. I think that show is incredible. The books are even better. I love the use of second person. And the details that she includes will just have you... It'll put a shiver up your spine in a good way. <laughs> it's just genius. And I I really... I'm really inspired by those. By Gillian Flynn and Carolyn Kepnes. Um... Yeah, I'm looking them up because I've been quite, like, out of paying attention to the literary scene for some time, unfortunately. So I didn't even know about these, but this... Okay, I see. You're not missing a ton, you know? I really gotta say. I... I try to read a lot, and I try to... You know, I've already you know, dip my toe in the classics. And right now I'm trying really hard to read um, contemporaries as often as I can, because I think it's so easy to to look down on contemporary literature and complain about it. Mm -hmm. But I really think those two women in particular are, are going to be very famous for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, I also... Obviously, you know, one of my favorite writers in the world is Brodigan. Mm, yeah. He influenced me in a completely different direction in terms of swallow your pride and break form. And I like his freewheeling way of speaking. I like how unpretentious he is. That's the main thing is the, un the lack of pretension. Yeah. Like for the uh for the listeners who might not know Richard Brodigan, he was I I like to introduce people to him as describing him as the best beatnik or the beatnik that fits in the least, perhaps. The funniest beatnik, maybe. What do you think? Is that a fair explanation? I would in some say, ways, he's not even a beatnik. You know, it's like a debatable point. All the beatniks are trying to be him. Mm. They're trying to be him and Jack. Jack Kerouac. Yeah, it's like, do you want to be the nice, funny guy or the asshole? He, um... I also... I always forget that he was part of the Diggers. Hmm, yeah. In San Francisco. Uh, the Diggers were a... I don't want to call them a cult. 
they were sort of neither were they like a fully like some sort of cadre there was something in between okay they were a ragtag group of activists who liked to show up to protests and cause issues um they would steal and participate in petty crime if anyone has read watermelon sugar by richard brodigan I, I see some parallels with the... Well, I'm not remembering their name, but there's this evil cult. There's a, a little... There's a Lucifer archetype in Watermelon Sugar. And mm. the diggers remind me a little bit of the Lucifer's posse that goes and steals things and causes I'm chaos. To, I'm trying to remember, because, like, for me... My go-to favorites were the Hawkline Monster, I think, and mm-hmm. uh, was it Sombrero Fallout? I can still think about that one and just like start laughing to myself. I haven't read Sombrero Fallout yet. It's a fun one. My favorite Brodkins are... Oh, the abortion is amazing. Mm-hmm. It's It starts off with a guy who works in the library, and one chapter is just a list of people who come in to pitch their book to the library. (laughs) And it's such, obviously with that title, I won't give it away, but maybe something dark happens (laughs) later in the book, but (laughs) it's so human and funny. I really like, um, it makes me sad, so I can't read it too often, but so the wind won't blow it all away. His Mm. autobiographical piece his poems are wonderful. They're so funny. They're poems that you can read to people who don't like poetry. Yeah. Which I I always try to keep uh, writers in my back pocket who are writers that non-readers would love. Yeah. Because that's how you succeed. To you know, that's how you get people on your side and get them into reading and change their life. By finding the unpretentious, creative, free people like Brodigan. Mm. And Phil K. Dick definitely falls into that category. Yeah, I definitely think I know people who like Philip K. Dick who aren't don't consider themselves to be readers for sure. Definitely. Um, other influences. So when I was I think I was maybe 14 and for some reason i got it into my head that oh i have to read sartre if i don't (laughs) read sartre i'm going to be such an ignoramus uh so i made myself read all of his work and i was not a huge fan of his plays but i love his short stories wait you made yourself read being in nothingness too (laughs) i love i actually really love being in nothingness it yeah it's good but it's like (laughs) Like, why were we reading it at such an early age? I don't know. So I, I It is. I agree. Because especially, um, I don't speak French, but oh, Guy Debord and, uh, and the other ones, Baudrillard maybe, but they, they have this curly Q way of speaking where they repeat themselves twice, three times in, in the same sentence. Mm-hmm. Like, the way of seeing and seeing in the way 
<laughs> the I, I or the I, I. Oh my God. It, it, the French drive me nuts. But I actually love being in nothingness because Sartre has this horribly like misanthropic, rude way of seeing the world that I love. I mean, he's so, he just hates everyone. Um, <laughs> Yeah. His best short story ever is Aristratus, which is based off the Greek myth of Aristratus, who was a person who burnt down one of the libraries of Alexandria because he wanted to be famous. And so there was a damnatio more against him, where nobody in Greece was allowed to say his name or write it. Obviously, that didn't work out, and we still know who he is to this day. Uh, but Aristotle's the Sartre story, is about a um, a timid clerk in Paris who is tired of his job. He's tired of his tiny little office, his tiny little apartment, and his apartment has a view of the street. And he looks down on all the people, and they're so small. And he buys a gun. And fantasizes about shooting them from the height. And so Aristotle is a very, very early uh, sort of like first person shooter, school shooter. Mm -hmm. You know, the whole archetype of like the school shooter exists. In, in our minds, in the media, it exists. Not only is this person seeking revenge, but they're seeking glory. Yeah. And they're willing to die for that. And so that's the entire legend of Aristotle. And that Sartre short story really influenced me. If you've ever read it, you'll see it absolutely come up in Incurable Graphomania. Absolutely. I mean, the first story in the, in the sequence actually is my little spin on that, on Aristotle. Except it's not a a timid Parisian clerk. It's a Philadelphia wasp girl who gets broken up with and goes on a bender and then runs into a Raytheon summer camp in the beach house across the street. <laughs> <laughs> okay, mate. So it's a Victorian beach house in South Jersey and about it's, it's um, located, you know, you have to drive through marshes and swamps. And there's an, uh, a military base not too far away. And once in a while, you'll see little Raytheon activities happening. And it's such a contrast against the beautiful Victorian homes and all the nature preserves. And that really inspired me to, to turn that into a short story. Mm. No, I enjoyed that one for sure. I'm glad. Raytheon Summer Camp. <laughs> I would love to go visit. So, should I read something? Since we're talking about first-person shooter. So, I was thinking that I would read um, the Reagan Blair Manifesto. Yes. And I would read a small excerpt from one of the dystopias, mm -hmm. which is called Skin of the Game. And I can absolutely find something from First Person Shooter right this second. A short um, excerpt. Actually, you know what? Okay, yeah. Actually, I will read a short excerpt. 
This is an excerpt from First Person Shooter. It occurs to me in a shock of joy that the ocean is less than a mile away. I'm so happy to be drunk and walking alone by myself at night. I can't think of anywhere else I could do this, but super sterile Victorian Cape May. There's a big helicopter that beams infrared and scoops up vagrants, bums, criminals, and undesirables into a crab net and releases them over the Delaware Bay. Pinochet style. Not really. The local public servants give every homeless person they see a $200 hotel voucher and a bus ticket to Atlantic City. I check on the ghost crabs that live in the cracks between the big wet rocks of the jetty. They scatter as soon as I appear. They've seen the old bay banner plane flying over crab eaters, opening beer with their old bay keychains on their old bay beach towels. I see one pinch my foot, coming for his reparations. I let him have it. My reflexes are gone, and I'm too drunk to feel his pincer. If he wants a toe, he can take a toe. I've got nine more lives. I leave my clothes in their lifeguard roost and go for a swim. I sink my chin down into the water when the beach cleaner drives by in his big noisy truck. The ocean is cold and winds me and I could drown, but I'm not so lucky. I take my coffee on the porch. I tense up when Sean waves towards me. He walks over and reminds me about the RLE conference. It's in the convention center on the boardwalk, a block away from the arcade. I know it. Are you coming? Am I allowed? Not quite. I'll go. Sean gives me another girl's lanyard. She has IBS and wants to stay home and watch cable. The barcode works and I'm in. Every tenth person in here is probably clocking me for a fake high schooler like they're watching a Lifetime movie. Maybe it's just hangover anxiety. My lanyard strap is decorated with the logos of NASA, NOAA, Samsung, McGraw-Hill, Treyarch, and Anheuser-Busch. I want to show someone my ID and get an orange wristband, but I can't blow my cover. We walk around the convention center, collecting lanyards, pens, drawstring backpacks, and koozies. We take fistfuls of candy while a chubby DOD contractor pitches an internship building satellites in Baltimore. We try astronaut food from a tube and spit it out into SpaceX napkins. I follow Sean into a room full of computer screens and gaming consoles. The walls are lined with thin bands of neon light, like laser tag. A girl scans our lanyards as we come in. She's wearing more makeup than me and looks good in khakis, and I want to leave. Two to a system, she says. We sit down and I wipe the fingerprints off my controller before pressing start. The game has four levels, each in a different location. Practice, Antarctica. Sporadic targets running across an open white plain. Beginner. Middle Eastern or Saharan Desert. Targets popping out from a row of bases. Intermittent sandstorms blinding the shooter. I'll start that one again. Intermittent sandstorms blinding the shooter. I looked around and saw that most kids were getting weeded out by the landmines. Sean figured out that you can quickly win this round if you change over to night mode and power up to some green goggles. The desert storm strategy. Intermediate. A heavily wooded war zone on a mountain. Enemy combatants growling in something Eastern European. Sneaking through the forest. Their grenades launch avalanches that'll kill you if you don't run up the mountain fast enough.
Expert. A busy city with a mix of modern architecture and old limestone buildings that look like museums. A number of civilians walking around at a brisk European pace, weaving through streets and fountains and squares and cafes. One of the expert level targets is a red ballerina. She's easy to find because she circles the square in a three minute loop like the rest of the NPCs. She walks down the marble steps of the grand pillared theater in a red leotard, pink tights, and a white scrunchie. Shooting her gets you 700 points, but there's a catch. Every time you shoot her, your power-ups disable for 30 seconds. Your camouflage stops working, rendering you visible to all other snipers for 30 seconds without being able to fire back. The only way to win this round is to let her run around Rome, Paris, Milan, or Moscow until the very end of the round. So that was an excerpt from First Person Shooter. Oh, yeah. Excellent. So the listeners can get a taste of the pros, of course, which I think is very wonderful. Thank you. And for sure. So, like... (laughs) It's just such an interesting idea, right? Just like, uh, uh, I'm sure, well, I know for a fact, like a lot of, I talk to a lot of listeners who talk about just wandering into like these spaces that may not be particularly meant for them, like a Raytheon (laughs) conference or something (laughs) and then coming across something like kind of fucked up like that. I, so I really... Okay, like I was telling you earlier before we started recording, mm-hmm. um, I I really uh, didn't like use computers that much growing up. I still, to me, they're kind of like a word processor, and it's like word processor and Twitter and email. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so video games are a really foreign entity for me, and. I remember something I noticed growing up was how it was so normal for, um, especially boys my age, to be playing really violent video games all the time. Mm -hmm. And I remember I definitely have a bit of the, you know, cautious, judgmental opinion of them that they do. Um, lend to violent impulses. I remember being very scared imagining the kids in my class going home from school and simulating extreme violence for four or five hours every single day. Mm -hmm. Like, about as long as they spent in school, they spent doing that. And I think... It's a fascinating uh, medium of mind control and normalization and also, um, you know, manufacturing consent for military police. There's so many ways to use video games in order to impact society. Yeah, I mean, it's just ridiculous. I mean, I think any normal person can probably just observe, you know, like how it plays into jingoistic recruiting type of, you know, shit. But like, then you get into even more complicated stuff. Like, I don't know if you 
since you know you're not like a gamer but like (laughs) the call of duty series like literally had a highway of death like mission not mission but like they depicted it but they said that the iraqis did it not the united states during the first iraq war and then like other call of duty games have had you shoot fidel castro or like played clips of like what's that one guy like yuri bezhmanov i don't know if i'm saying his name right but like the freaking russian defector it's just like they're like packing in all this insane disinformation and it's like young guys playing call of duty aren't going to like critically like parse out what's true and not true in their stupid call of duty game exactly it's like rambo and red scare on crack yeah sorry not red scare uh red dawn (laughs) red dawn (laughs) the shwayze movie yeah, yeah. <laughs> Red Dawn deeply offended me as a kid. I'm sorry. I mm-hmm. I could not stomach that movie. It really upset me. The, the thing that bugs me, though, is... Okay, everyone in Russia is, like, a secret Russian Jew. Why do you have to hire these people who can't even pronounce Mikhail? You know? <laughs> Like, seriously, you can throw a rock in New York or Hollywood and hit, like, 15 Russians who change their names to, like, Helen Marin. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe John Milius just didn't want to. I don't know. I can't. I, it doesn't make sense to me. Did John Milius write Red Dawn? Uh, once I said it, I was like, oh, fuck. I wonder if that's even accurate. Let me see. <laughs> Whoever wrote it. Yeah, well, okay, he he wrote it, yeah, and directed. So funny. That movie is such an eye roll. Oh, my God. Yeah. It really, yeah. What astonishes me is that, like, they had, like, fuck, was it, like, I think it was, like, some right-wing think tank, like, help come up with the geopolitical scenario. And the geopolitical scenario is, like, asinine. It's, like, (laughs) stupid. Like, literally Russians raining from the sky, like, biblical frogs. There's, like, one Sandinista, and that's, like, the amount of, like, nuance that they are, like, oh, it's a different person as well. Like, it's just <laughs> stupid. Like, I love um films where they're fighting in the middle of the desert, and all the Ruskies have their little fur coats. Mm, chef's kiss. <laughs> beautiful. Beautiful. Oh, yeah.
story in the collection is called Heart of a Dog. Mm. And it's it's the one about the the um the puppy mills. Yes. And so that one so Roberta Bolano has this concept of the secret story that's inside the story. Mm-hmm. And for me, the secret story in Heart of a Dog is the fact that this guy who has a Russian literature degree from Indiana University, <laughs> which we gotta we gotta have a little bit of a sus Indiana sidebar at some point because mm-hmm. why does Indiana have such a fabulous um Russian program? I think we <laughs> I think we <laughs> kind of sense why, but yeah. Right? Yeah. It's in the middle of the Midwest. You know what else has an abnormally good program for Russian? Who? BYU, unfortunately. BYU? Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Okay. I mean, all languages, basically. Like, it's to my great chagrin. That's so fascinating because I, um, I'm a little bit obsessed with BYU. I <laughs> love it's such an interesting spot for me. I really want to visit. I really want to visit and like infiltrate BYU. I shouldn't even say this out loud. I I, I don't care. <laughs> I I'm gonna go and pretend to be like a little like beautiful Mormon girl who <laughs> doesn't drink Coors Light ever. <laughs> I it would be really fun to uh, just I don't know. I I'm like so fascinated with mormons <laughs> i i just i can't explain it like I, I, okay so in the dmv we have that mormon castle do you know it what uh i oh oh the temple yeah 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 yeah. it's the lds mormon temple of kensington yes and it's beautiful it looks like wizard of oz mm-hmm. that's why people painted surrender surrender dorothy on the bridge nearby <laughs> Um, but I think that just having that beautiful temple is a really good way of getting the Mormons to make all of us Mormon files around here. <laughs> um, but BYU is fascinating to me. I've heard that they have a really high suicide rate, too. Yeah, I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Although a lot of universities do. Like... No, for sure. Like it sucks there. Like I hate like BYU <laughs> is like equal parts good and bad, like way out of whack with like just a normal place. So in my novel about the trouble teen camps, I have mm-hmm. a scene where someone escapes and the way they escape is that they go infiltrate a BYU party <laughs> and steal a car. And um, I would love to go visit to go verify my my BYU assumptions. <laughs> Listen, anytime you need some geographical or color, I can I can explain any part of BYU to you. Oh, absolutely! Including the tunnels. Do you know about the tunnels? <gasps> You're kidding me! There are tunnels all over BYU. This is exactly what I need for my novel, Deadass. Mm-hmm. This is exactly what I was writing about. Wow. Yep. I need to go to Utah. Mm-hmm. 
my my next vacation will be to BYU. <laughs> Many people are saying this. <laughs> I know, right? It's the hottest new timeshare destination. <laughs> it's a, northern utah there's actually a pretty big russian population in salt lake city as well no way mm-hmm. wow i like that I, it's not like big but it's like big for the size of the city right also a lot of um russians are like dolphins if you <laughs> see two of them it means they're like 30 more underneath the water they're just <laughs> not admitting that to you yeah for sure <laughs> so there has to be a lot i can imagine um how did we get on yeah what were we talking about before that heart of a dog oh heart of a dog so yes how did this man with a russian literature degree from iu like you know he moves to the dmv and he's an animal control officer and he hates himself for it and he does everything he does to like not do his job and then one day, he gets the opportunity to actually do his job. Mm-hmm. Does he take it? Does he not? That's what the whole story's about. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I love, like, kind of like in, it's like a very low stakes 2666 in the sense that there's like this plot that, like, you don't get to see the full scope of, but there's like the hints of how it works, like, coming through the story. Like, I really enjoyed that one. Thank you. I I really do um, take the iceberg theory to heart. Mm-hmm. I respect my reader, and I I have a lot of faith that I can not drown the reader in exposition and over explanation, and I and I trust that I can drop some breadcrumbs mm-hmm. sometimes. Because for Um, sure it's a leap of faith because, yeah, like, readers are stupid, too, on the other hand. Like, trusting that a reader's going to understand or, like, do the work to understand is, like, (laughs) it's not always the case, so. I agree. But the way I read things is I I tend to fall in love with something and reread it over and over again. Um, Recently... There are a couple novels recently that I've read that I've absolutely fallen in love with. Um, and the two main ones are Monarch. Oh, yeah. Candace Woolley's book Monarch was the kind of book that made me think, where has this been my whole life? Yeah. It's the exact type of thing that I write. I was going to ask, you know, what you thought of that, because for sure it seems like your kind of thing and vice versa. Absolutely. That's exactly my style. The high femme, detailed, lots of interludes, respect to the past, respect to the future. To be more specific, I mean, she includes fairy tales. Oh, yeah. She also uh, has a very realistic, but also creative dystopia that that she thinks of. Yeah, Candace is a genius, and I cannot wait for... Um, I was listening to her episode the other day, and she said that she's writing a prequel for it, which I'm so excited for. That would be so cool. Yeah. And another book I read recently that I had to read, immediately reread, was um, Sayal's Veridijan Jag by Adam Johnson. 
which is a creepy voyeuristic Lolita type novel. Mm. I love voyeurism and peepholes and surveillance and all of that really scratches an itch for me. Um, whenever I read Program to Kill, I'm always, that's one thing that's missing for me is I just want to understand the mechanisms of all the creepiness and all the spying and all the, um, just the way that people live like a little rats mm. hiding. No, for sure. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Hmm. Do you want to talk about some themes like, so we can talk about school shooters after I read Reagan Blair. Yeah, I think that makes sense. But I definitely, definitely, definitely want to talk about um, three things. Okay. Prisons as mind control factories. Mm -hmm. And within that hypnosis, I want to talk about adoption. Yes. And I want to talk about... Um, this one's kind of gross, but just the the skin trade, you know, like the way that in late stage capitalism, actually trading body parts mm -hmm. is something that's on our radar nowadays with the blood boy and everything. Yeah. Which is, I, would you consider that transhumanism? Does that fall into that umbrella? I think it's approaching that or kind of going down that path for sure. Like beating nature i mean like i like that you said somewhere in your notes here like uh that it's perennial yet end stage the organ yes. trade is because like for sure it has always been with us like back during the cold war i guess technically like haiti was like like the main like exporter of like human blood to like u.s hospitals and shit you know like and like Nicaragua too, under like the Somoza dictatorship. So it's like, it's always been here with us, but now it is also like back again, you know, more so. Haiti. I have so much to say about Haiti. Mm -hmm. I have multiple Haitian incidents in my book. Uh, in one of the dystopias, there's a Haitian woman who pays her neighbor for her hair. And that's the only, like, this, this girl makes money just by cutting off her hair every few months. And um, another Haitian mention is in Refrigerator Death Index. Actually, let me read that bit. Mm -hmm. I think I even know because I read that one again recently. So... This is an excerpt from Refrigerator Death Index. The girls hung a blanket over the railing that looked out over the dining room and hid behind it, eavesdropping on their parents' dinner party. They passed around a bottle of wine Sasha swiped from the kitchen. Amy was catching up with her best friend from college, Lisa, an immigration lawyer. They were speaking at a drunk volume, and the girls barely had to strain to listen. It's been three years since we adopted Chiamara. I have the itch. I can get you a Haitian baby this summer. Easy. Lisa stroked Amy's arm. It's hurricane season. 
Can't they make an earthquake in Denmark, Sweden or something? A flood, maybe? So that was from Refrigerator Death Index. Mm -hmm. And that piece of dialogue is something I wish was more fiction-based than it is. Right. I grew up, one of my best friends when I was in third grade, um, who passed away a couple of years ago, uh, his mother was an immigration his father, sorry, his father was an immigration lawyer, and his mother was a midwife and an adoption lawyer. By the way, kind of an interesting conflict of interest between those two positions. But yeah. she, they were always jet-setting to Haiti and, and South America and different places, and they facilitated a lot of adoptions. And... I remember one night just hearing their drunk voices make jokes about hurricanes and adoption. And I remember putting it together and I didn't put it together until much later, but it was actually after I started going down the troubled teen camp rabbit holes that I started noticing things about adoption that were so dark um, in my generation, I was born in the nineties, uh, a lot of, I noticed a lot of families were adopt, who had biological children were adopting kids from third world countries. And I noticed these kids were often treated really terribly. Mm -hmm. Like they had clothes, they had food, but they were emotionally abused. Any small infraction was met with a rant about how they should be grateful. Basically, this kind of treatment, this kind of attitude towards that child, like the parents brushed the flies off themselves and plucked them out of the mouth of the vulture. And I remember being really disturbed by it. It was, it was a huge trend back then. And Refrigerator Death Index is... It, my imagination of a sort of like Angelina Jolie of Potomac, Maryland type of character, mm -hmm. you know, a character who adopts a lot of children from all over the world, purposely from as many continents and, and areas as she can. Um, preferably non-white children. Mm -hmm. Although many people are very, you know, particular about race when they're adopting a child. Um, and do lament the fact that children are more easily available from Haiti or China. Uh, international adoption has a lot of dark, dark undertones and a lot of problems. Um, I've stumbled upon some really horrifying things in my research that indicate that a lot of doctors are more than happy to provide adoptive parents with things like Compazine and Thorazine for children, for six years old, for six year old child children. It's it's really dark. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, recently I was doing a lot of research on the Guatemalan adoption trade for <laughs> a project I was working on, and like, you're absolutely right. It's bleak as fuck, and like, this just underscores to me why you do actually need to go <laughs> check out BYU because like. Growing up, 
in Utah. Like I knew a kid from the Marshall Islands. I knew a kid from, you know, Senegal. I knew a kid from Samoa. I knew, and like these were, you know, not like their families were from there, but like they were from white families that adopted from these different places and around the world. And it was just like, they were not treated the same. No, they were not. Like, it's not, it's not good. They're really not treated the same at all. Yes, they get to live in rich houses and nice neighborhoods and, you know, they're not starving, but they don't have families that love them. They're not being protected from abuse of all kinds, physical, sexual, emotional. They're not thriving. A lot of these kids, uh, oftentimes they go to different schools and their siblings. Mm -hmm. I've seen that happen multiple times. Siblings go to private school. The adopted kid from Honduras goes to public school where there's like MS-13 mm -hmm. in the hallways recruiting him because they look the same. That is super fucked up. That happens all the fucking time. Um, and I, I talk about adoption a lot in my work. I, I don't know. I don't know if, you know, it's just a drop in the bucket, but it's something that I do talk about and I do think about. I liked that you named one of the characters Shiomara because to me it makes me think of Shiomara Castro in Honduras who's reasserting Honduran sovereignty in the face of U.S. imperialism. I have not heard of Chiomara Castro, but she sounds just like my Chiomara. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She rocks. So like, that's, that's cool. Um, I, I loved the, uh, the parodying element of like the food that the uh, adopted kids get fed. That was such a funny thing. Yes. That's actually how the, the kernel that's the popcorn kernel that started this entire story is wouldn't it be funny if some like extremely woke um like crunchy rich woman angelina jolie wannabe adopted kids from all over the world but forced them to eat their food mm -hmm. <laughs> like i don't know that was that was the whole like that was the kernel the origin of this yeah it was very funny yeah <laughs> For, I, I have a tweet that uh, sometimes I consider deleting because I just don't want anyone to take it the wrong way, but I really do think people are going to get really, really into kind of race science in like a crunchy gut health way. Oh, yeah. I think that's coming back in a big way. Oh, definitely. Like what to eat and what skincare products to use if you're like Filipino. <laughs> like Yeah. People and like half of it is like kind of true, but the other half it's like <laughs> wanders into some weird territory. Oh, definitely, definitely, absolutely. Um, you know, I do think that there's a lot of merit. Like, I have, I haven't been really good about it recently, but for a while, like in the summer, I was on this diet where, unless I went out or whatever, I was pretty much only eating Slavic foods. Hmm. And I felt great, not gonna lie. You think it's like the fermented stuff, or what do you think it is? Uh, the only fermented thing I was eating was uh, kefir. Okay, so not 
I guess it's not that. I'm not a huge ferment fan unless Is it it's like, the Catherine Wheel album or or beer or something. is it that it's like more like less <laughs> processed foods maybe you think? Honestly, yeah. I mean, I was eating raw pretty much. Um, you know, like raw radishes, dark rye bread, garlic, kefir, Yeah. Russian cheese, um, like beets, things like that. For I just the caught uh kind of yeah. for the listeners, we were joking off off mic about uh chewing garlic because uh I learned about that from I don't even remember where, but like I guess it's like a Russian thing, though not exclusively Russian, and like anytime I start feeling sick now I just eat like a <laughs> clove of garlic and it like I I think it helps. I don't know. Like, It absolutely helps. It basically nukes whatever infection is happening. Um, I notice, like, whenever I'm craving garlic like crazy, I just let myself have it because I know that there must be some kind of low-grade infection sneaking up on me. Mm -hmm. I just crush it. Absolutely. There's a Um, reason why the Anglo the Anglos hate garlic. It's because it's good for the soul. because they're demons, right? Yeah. <laughs> If you eat garlic... hand over fist it means you're an angel <laughs> um another thing i wanted to talk about today was um All right, we were just talking about how great Program to Kill is. i just reread it and i was telling jimmy that every time i reread it it goes higher and higher into the ranking of the best books i've ever read it reads itself It just goes so quickly um, and it, it just like envelops me. It, my favorite pattern, I guess not favorite, you know, because the themes are so dark, is um, the theme of hypnosis and disassociation that permeates. Because it's, it's a very hard thing to explain, but I think that, um, and I'll talk about this a little bit after the reading, but... One common theme in this is childhood sexual abuse and military service Mm -hmm. as the catalysts for this type of disassociation. And I just have to say that we, with the internet, being in everyone's face all day, every day, like we were talking about video games earlier, program to kill, you know, the, the atrocities in the book, have almost become background noise nowadays. There's so many school shootings. There
I'm very excited to hear it again. What do you think was your favorite? Just curious. I I think it was probably this one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think my favorite out of all of them is Heart of a Dog. Okay. <laughs> or just, yeah. Yeah, because I'm looking at them and it's like okay, the first two very strong, and then like. Honestly, one that really kind of grabbed me more than I thought it would would be Claw Clip. I was just like, oh, man, what the heck? <laughs> like, oh, Claw Clip. I really liked that one. Mm-hmm. So Claw Clip, um, I, I gave myself a prompt. Take an object and write, you know, write a short story that follows that object. And I thought of a Claw Clip. And that, and everything just came out of that organically. And I have to say, Claw Clip and Heart of a Dog and Taco Bell, of course, are really realistic. <laughs> a little bit mm-hmm. too realistic, I think. Um, like, I'm scared for certain people to read it. <laughs> <laughs> um, Claw Clip is inspired by my friend's mom, who is a dentist. But if you if you know her, you know her as the best lip fillers in the DC area. And I remember she went on vacation and came back from vacation and I went to work and like four of my coworkers had new lips. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Anyways, a little you'll definitely um if you've ever been curious about what Russian women do in the DC area. I, this book is an uncomfortably close up view of that. (laughs) (laughs) Just parenthetically, like, I don't know what's wrong with me. Like when I went to New York city to visit, the only place that I enjoyed being was at Brighton beach. Really? Every other place felt like too crowded. And it wasn't just because it was the Russians. Like I enjoyed that aspect too, but like, I didn't enjoy most of New York City. I thought the bookstores kind of sucked, actually. Like, I was, like, tired of dealing with it, but, like, I enjoyed Brighton Beach, so. The only bookstores in New York I like are, um, oh, I don't remember the name, but it's extremely tight, and they have a cat, and it's off of 4th Avenue. Mm. And then Spoonbill and Sugartown in Brooklyn is a great bookstore. The guy who owns it, he always remembers me and and last time he was like you're always here buying the weirdest shit (laughs) (laughs) like i was because i was always looking through like the unpriced books i remember freaking out i don't remember what it was it was some kind of magazine from like the 60s and i was like i'll give you 30 bucks for this and he's like i was gonna price it for seven and i'll that's what i'll (laughs) give it to you for but Spoonbill and Sugartown, love that place. Because yeah, everyone said the Strand, and it's like, fuck off, it's not that good. <laughs> the Strand reminds me of the uh, Air and Space Museum in DC. <laughs> as soon as I walk into the Air and Space Museum, I I need like a benzo and a weighted blanket and 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 like a fucking like grippy sock. I'm just like I can't fucking handle the Air and Space Museum and Strand is the same level of chaos mm-hmm. and absolute like tourist horror. 
Yeah. <laughs> Forest horror is worse than body horror. It's when you realize that you're about to enter like a, like a horde of people who are on vacation and relaxed and don't know how to like share a sidewalk. <laughs> yeah. Cause like, I felt like I was on vacation there in New York city and I was with a bunch of other tourists in the strand and I was just like, this sucks, man. <laughs> oh, strand sucks. Absolutely. That's the way of the world. What you waiting for? She has to be loved. Everybody needs somebody.
let's see. So basically, we're going to be reading from this story. Okay, so this is the Reagan Blair Manifesto. A cop scolded me back into my room as I tried to walk my bike down the hallway of my dorm. I keep going, trying to pin their caution tape back up before it catches on my handlebars again. I tell the policeman I'm going to group therapy for sexual assault vi victims in the social sciences building. And it sounds like a lie, but they ease up. Reagan was early for therapy, too, waiting cross-legged on a coffee table. She doesn't trust public upholstery. Scabies, bedbugs, lice, and ringworm are like herpes, she tells me. Even when they're gone, you'll feel the itch. The furniture is cursed. Built by slaves of the Commonwealth. Cheap prison labor, contracted out by VCE. 20 cents an hour. Hexed with the blood, sweat, and tears of murderers, rapists, and speeders who went 15 over on 66 on the 31st of the month. Quota. I looked up at the flickering fluorescent lights and tried to picture my rapist sanding wood in an assembly line. It didn't play. My phone was about to die and I reached for the charging station when Reagan stopped me. They can get all your data that way. Do you know what a USB is, Blair? They? She waved her hand around the lobby. The social sciences building was quiet, save for a group of international students in ironed clothes and blind white sneakers talking and laughing on the couch behind us. Koreans? Anyone. They could drain your bank account in ten minutes. Can't tap a dry well. Anyway, I need to check the news. Did you hear about the sophomore who killed himself last night? He lived on my floor. Aaron Ross? Word's been going around. That was your dorm? Did you hear the gunshot? No. I thought he hung himself? But it's all blocked off. Curtains and caution tape. Did you know him well? Not really, to be honest. More of a business relationship? Weed? Adderall. Well, I never met him. I saw him around the student union, though. Always with that commie, Tammy Wu. I don't think she's a real commie. I think she just calls everyone comrade because it's provocative, yet gender neutral. Or some kind of military fetish? But I could be wrong. She had a bunch of flags in her room and not one hammer and sickle. They gave me a weird vibe, though. What girl puts flags up? When were you in her room? Reagan looked annoyed, almost jealous. I leaned in close enough to smell the lemon oil that binds her single dreadlock that she's always playing with, twisted from the center of her nape. Thin enough to hide in a blonde chignon whenever she goes to work. Between you and me, Aaron had some outstanding debts. I paid him two days ago, and he didn't come through. The cops have probably long seized all his drugs and cash. Not quite. Aaron's room is right next to the RA suite. A few months ago, he started getting paranoid and keeping everything at Tammy's. She lives off campus in one of the co-op houses. I went there yesterday to see if I could settle things. Nobody was home, so I went into her room. And she had some flags? So does every college kid. What do you expect? Bruegel? 
Her room was decorated with normal stuff, like candles and fairy lights, but also military portraits and still creased flags I didn't recognize. Red and black, black and yellow, a dragon in a circle, maybe? The room reeked of polyester and packing materials, like saran wrap had been peeled off everything moments before I came in. Did you find what you were looking for? I took Reagan's hand and put it in my backpack. She squeezed around and gasped at a shrink-wrapped bag of little blue footballs. What is that, half a pound? Reagan can guess any weight, volume, and distance with surprising accuracy, probably from years of weighing groceries at Whole Foods and parallel parking her minivan. Shrink-wrap. That's odd. That's very... involved. It's Xanax. Footballs, not bars. Harder to flip, but less likely to be fake. I also took a bottle of Vyvanse and a zip. I gave up finding cash. A wave of paranoia told me to get the fuck out of Tammy Wu's bedroom. At least you got something before finals. There's something odd about her place. Neither a razor in her shower, nor a lid on her bathroom trash can. Some Asians really are that hairless. Then where does she throw her tampons? Maybe she uses diva cups. Maybe she's an IUD. Maybe it's Maybelline. Maybe she has her tubes tied. I can see that for her, the activist type. A young, beautiful, fertile, yet unimpregnable Ayn Rand heroine. Reagan curled her top lip. She's not that pretty. But I can't believe you didn't invite me to break into Red Guard Barbie's bedroom with you. It was impulsive. How much speed have you been taking, Blair? There's Rachel. Let's go upstairs. Our group therapist was waiting for the elevator to the fourth floor. Rachel Eisenberg was a middle-aged brunette with tight curls that always looked wet. We waited behind her, but she didn't acknowledge us until we were inside the elevator. The lengths she went to to adhere to the rule that we were not supposed to approach each other outside of therapy was almost comical. When I ran into her last week, she didn't even hold the door for me. I think she wished she could kick us out for becoming friends outside a group. She had lots of other rules, so many that they became a tight grid. No interactions outside of group, no descriptions of sexual assault, no identifying details about a rapist, no discussions of self-harm, eating disorders, substance abuse, or suicidal thoughts. Rachel enforced her rules with a small handbell that she used as a gavel. She rang it every time someone crossed the double yellow lines. I was the first to lose the conch that day. I'm going to say that one again. I was the first to lose the conch today. Blair, I need to cut you off. This is a gentle reminder to everyone else that they need to be mindful not to share any details that could trigger your peers. We're not here to discuss what happened. We're here to share how we've been coping. Coping mechanisms can be healthy, or they can be maladaptive. You can share any insights about cope, anything except for cutting in K-holes, right? Reagan waved away her turn to share. She rested her head on her fist and kept chewing her lip while the rest of us watercolored mood maps. She walked me back up to my dorm. Sometimes group feels like Sunday school. 
Or when you go to confession and you can't tell the priest your real sins, so you make a few up, wasting everyone's time. I hadn't been to church in three years. I wondered if Reagan ever has. Religion seemed to be a sore spot for her. She twisted her dread around her finger, pausing before she answered. Have you noticed that everything in therapy is designed so that we don't know a single thing about each other? We can't say anything about who, what, where, or when we were raped. We can't even say how old we were. We can't be honest about how we've dealt with it. We can't even acknowledge each other outside of that little conference room. We could have all been attacked by the same guy and we'd never know. There could be serial rapists on campus that they're unwittingly protecting. We got silent for a moment. The descending dusk made me tense and vigilant. I noticed she was scanning too. A few months ago, on New Year's, I overdid it at a party and my friend asked her boyfriend to give me a ride home. I was tired and wasted and cold and didn't think anything of it. I knew him. Besides, he's an EMT. He's good at driving drunk. But I never got home. I woke up before sunrise, shivering and choking on a condom. You know the big flower bed that spells out GCU in petunias? The one you pass as you pull into campus drive? I was in the middle of the sea. Mine happened outside, too. A year ago, I was leaving an AA meeting in that white church near the bike trail off Braddock. There was this guy in the meeting, Sandy, who kept trying to get my number so he could be my sponsor. I got bad vibes and ignored him. He followed me to my car, knocked the keys out of my hand, and dragged me into the woods behind the parking lot. When I found my phone and called the cops, he was already long gone. The cops searched my bag and arrested me for half a joint. I spent night in jail, and I'm still on probation. Speak of the devil. She pointed to a cop parked on the sidewalk in front of my dorm, talking to my RA, who still hadn't changed out of her PJs today. She was holding two phones in one hand and kept pulling her bike shorts down with the other. She pointed at me and got his attention. Our floor is blocked out tonight. Resident Life should have emailed you a few hours ago. You're supposed to make other arrangements. She looked apologetic. I still resented her. My phone died. Stay at my place tonight, Reagan tugged on my sleeve. Reagan's van is like a mullet. Super clean in the front. Disaster in the back. Two big water jugs rested on a nest of board game pieces, tarot cards, single gloves, band-aid wrappers, tea-stained jars, tie-dyed bandanas, salt crystal deodorant, and the Edward Case rose water spray. She rented a basement from two grad students who lived 20 minutes from campus in a quiet neighborhood with a fake lake. How do you know which one is yours? I asked not realizing how rude my question sounded before it left my mouth. Dicky tacky central, I know. I drive right by it sometimes when my roommate isn't home. His purple Chevy Malibu stands out in the driveway. 
That one stands out, too. I pointed to the DHS crest painted on a white SUV. Reagan shivered behind the wheel. I tucked my backpack under my knees. We inventoried the loot from Tammy's on the carpet under the glow of the TV. Some of it was sampled in the process. I almost forgot about this. I slid Aaron's journal across the carpet, a green leather moleskin with GCU embossed in gold. This was pushed to the back of the drawer with the Xanax. Aaron's ledger. I always thought it was clunky of him to jot our transactions down in a notebook and a good way to get caught. I couldn't leave it there for the cops to find. You're so nosy, Reagan gasped. I can't wait to read this. She flipped through the pages of numbers, initials, symbols, profits, and debts. Does a red triangle mean Adderall? Is this UBA? Sheets at me. Shaking her head. You kept him in business until the very end. Could be other customers. He had the decency only to use initials. But besides, he lived three doors down the hall from me. It was convenient. Why would I go to anyone else? Either he was ripping you off, or you're a real guzzler. A fiend. So are you. Get a Ziploc from the kitchen. I filled it up for her like Halloween. Like that house with the full candy bars and something to prove. She flipped onto her stomach, slowly reading through Aaron's journal, looking up from me. She flipped onto her stomach, slowly reading through Aaron's journal, looking up at me from time to time. Have you read this, Blair? She twisted her dread and chewed the inside of her lip with a little too much heart. It's easy to rile her up. I flipped through it earlier, mostly just to see if and how much I was incriminated. She took a bobby pin out of her hair and used it as a bookmark. Start here. Early March. It's boring before that. Actions. Like selling his Xbox on February 23rd. Owing Tammy $48 for dinner on February 27th. Imagine owing your girlfriend money. Who'd he sell the Xbox to? I saw one in her bedroom. He sold it to a TW. Blair, do you remember when she had those little ads up? She was posting these little flyers. My house got broken into, looking for a new TV and gaming console. Thank you, comrades. My eyes glaze over when I see the co-op pin board. It's just ads for ukulele lessons and Hare Krishna propaganda pinned over the stolen bike memorial wall. I think I saw it online, though. I was wondering how they met. He doesn't seem like someone who hangs out at the co-op. You think she lured him to her house by buying an Xbox off him? It's the perfect ploy. Think about it. How much does an Xbox cost? No idea. Exactly. Girls don't know that shit. He emails Tammy saying that he's won for a bargain of $300, hoping she doesn't haggle down. This puts him into a category. It lowers his ESG. He ripped a woman off. An Asian woman. A friendly, gainfully employed woman who has recently experienced the tragedy of having her home broken into, her safe space violated. The Xbox is heavy. He'll have to deliver it himself. 
into her bedroom. Tammy knows this, and she's ready, answering her door in little dolphin shorts and a ribbed tank. Maybe something with the ohm or the yin-yang symbol to make her seem like a little hippie, put free love on his mind. Right there, on the floor. Wow, I could never lift that by myself. Do you want a drink? Are you on Discord? Are you on any SSRIs? Meanwhile, Aaron's not listening to her, but he's still somehow answering all her questions in the affirmative. You know why men are so retarded when they're horny? Listen to this. Reagan straddled me on the couch with her palms so tight against my ears it created an uncomfortable suction. I heard a wind tunnel, frequencies, shifting liquids, and a crackling in my neck. I hear the ocean. You hear blood leaving your head and saliva rushing in to replace it. Red and white, black and white, yin-yang. Reagan jumped back onto the floor and paced into the kitchen. So he goes over there, and Tammy fucks him without trying, because there's nothing better for a man than a fuck he didn't prepare for. For a woman, nothing's worse. You didn't have time to shave or bathe or make sure you aren't ovulating. Are you on birth control? No. You? Fuck no. Hysteria and infertility are extremely profitable for the elites. Open your bank up right now. You'll see that you spend more money in the last six days of your luteal phase than you do all month. There's no way I'm looking at my bank account right now. You'll see that I'm right. I have a progesterone prescription, but I'm lazy. I, I never remember to pick it up. I sold my last month of it to this girl at a frat party. I told her it was Molly. A perfect crime. When it doesn't work, you can just blame it on her Prozac. Safe bet. It's really a rite of passage. Come to college and blunt the pain of your unattainable expectations with prescription drugs. But what did Tammy want with Aaron? Chaos. Ever since the Columbine prototype was released in 1995, schools have been churning out school shooters like Tagliatelli. Tag your it. Tagged like a dolphin, red wax on a roach's back, a lone wolf, a scapegoat. The government creates hundreds of these men and keeps them in cryo storage for years. They're bred like goldfish, and they only use a handful. All over the country, we have guys fermenting in dorms and basements and bedrooms decked out with triple monitors and gaming systems and books they hoped that would change their lives when they caught themselves in a rare, sober moment, after their caffeine hit, but before the anxiety set in. The moment where they pause and feel something before reaching for their bong to push that thought away. Guys who spend every waking moment online and start to feel guilty for all of it, victimized by all of it, powerless to any little bit of it except the nuclear option. Online advertising algorithms can sense that my roommate is a depressed woman in her early 30s who desperately wants her boyfriend to propose so she can have a reason to reconnect with all of her friends who she ghosted two years ago because she was afraid of them seeing her weight gain. Of course, that same algorithm can easily pinpoint Aaron as a young, lonely, drug-dealing, third-generation descendant of Holocaust survivors who inherited a weak constitution and inherent distrust of the dis of the establishment. You got all this from Aaron's journal? I attended bar in a hotel near Aurora last summer. It's where people stay when they're just in Denver for the airport, if you know what I mean. And remember that night in jail? 
I learned a lot from those ladies. Now read this. I didn't know Aaron was left-handed. His boy handwriting was legible, but smudged over with a smog of blue ink. March 2nd, 2018 Dragon symbol, yellow on black. We own the night. Probably anime. Find out. March 15th, 2018 J. Cole at the Patriot Center March 18th, 2018 VA Tech Shooter equals Westfield alum April 19th, 2018 Look up MKUltra, Artichoke, Bluebird, Collins Armigo Project Gladio Danny Casolero and the Octopus Delgado and the Bull Estra Books Delgado Verdier April 24th, 2018 Delgado could stop and start a charging bull with a microchip Danny turned 6 on Friday Don't forget to buy him a birthday present Remote control Hot Wheels April 30th, 2018 Ate meat in front of Tammy yesterday She's mad Only drink alone from now on May 3rd, 2018. Moonies, Manson family, Blacksburg. Reagan erased her roommate's whiteboard and tore it off the kitchen wall. She ran out of writing space and gave up on it, tucking it under the couch. She opened a fresh page in Aaron's journal. May 19th, 2018. Trauma sends you back into the cocoon by inflicting a dissociative, submissive, and inward state. Evangelical organizations swoop in on the victims' families after highly publicized tragedies involving guns and bombs. Federally contracted grief counselors are released into schools, setting up shop in empty classrooms, armed with tissue boxes and worksheets. For the girls, some Fed's menopausal wife and Chico's and a beaded glasses chain. For the guys an ex-football coach with a rap sheet riddled with bad touches and CP, trotted out whenever he was needed, but kept on a short leash. Rachel rings her bell whenever someone starts to get into detail about what was done to them. After a while, we stop trying to tell anyone about it. They're trying to program us in group therapy. Did I tell you what happened the other night? I asked painting my toenails to match hers. I was in the elevator with a full basket of laundry when this blonde man, in some kind of linen safari outfit, pointed to my feet and said, Aren't those some suckable little piggies? He said it like a joke, but never took his eyes off them. I kind of laughed it off. The next day I was telling my friends about it when this one girl, Carrie, starts freaking out. Apparently, a man fitting that description was following her around campus, asking her about her feet and her childhood. You do have some cute toes. You should have let Crocodile Dundee... So that guy tried to break into her apartment last week. She first saw him in Starbucks. He correctly guessed her shoe size and kept asking her about how she liked growing up in Blacksburg. He banged on the door for a while, left her a new pair of sandals in size six and a half, 
and ran away before the cops came. Blacksburg, Reagan whispered. She started to draw a table. Location, proximity to Westfield High. Blacksburg, VA. Blacksburg, VA Tech, 242 miles. Blacksburg Mountain, 276, 276 miles. NRO Taj Mahal Building, 0.9 miles. Premium Distributors of VA LLC, 0.6 miles. Northrop Grunman, 2.8 miles. Lockheed Martin, 7.3 miles. Reagan was biting her cuticles until they bled, and I rubbed lotion on them, but it didn't stop her. I shouldn't have given her my usual dose of Adderall. They're cooking something up in a DARPA lab, 7,000 feet under a mountain near Blacksburg, cooking up something good at the Mac DeMarco show. They're putting something in the beer that makes everyone disassociate. No one wakes up until they're 27. It's one big club, and we're already in it. She pulled out a laptop and started typing like she had a vendetta against the keys. I mixed a drink and went to the porch for fresh air and a smoke. Why do serial killers and school shooters have first names for a last name? Three last names, three first names. Who decides that? They all sound like presidents. We sound like presidents. Reagan Spencer? Blair Adams? You have a point. I fell asleep to the sound of the printer spitting pages out onto the carpet next to me. The next morning, we took the bus back to campus and entered the basketball stadium with Reagan's roommate's IDs ready to be scanned. The jarhead with red hair beeped barcodes without a second look. He had a square and compass tattooed on his thick forearms. Reagan squeezed my hand to make sure I noticed. We blended into the stadium of college kids in dark shades of late May, athleisure. Half of the crowd was wearing baseball caps and drawstring backpacks like ours. Paper is heavy. The drawstrings dug into my hungover shoulders. Aaron's photo was blown up on a big white poster that a few people had signed, mostly teachers. A social worker therapist, you could tell by her glasses chain, was manning a card table with stacks of flyers boasting all the mental health resources available on campus. We stood by while a volunteer took a stack of flyers and started passing them around the bleachers. He didn't stop to look and realize he'd been handing out our alternative reading. Aaron Ross was a victim of programming. His subconscious was flooded with subliminal violence and desperation as many hours a day as his eyes stayed open. He was identified, medicated, isolated, and then drawn out with a leash for his big experiment. A monkey in a cage in a warehouse in New Rochelle, the final stage of his programming was completed through his handler, Tammy Wu. The only uncertainty left was suicide or homicide. Which direction will the rotten tree fall? Say no to the grief counselors that are sweeping into campus today. They are trained to take advantage of collective tragedy. They want you isolated, addicted, paranoid, and obedient. They aim to program you. They are here because the iron is hot. GCU's therapy offerings are a bitter placebo. They scold and confuse and shush you until you just stop trying to tell the truth. R-E-L-C-S-W interrupts you with a handbell when you've said the wrong thing. 
the two notes that began an SVU episode. Two notes every time you say something honest, before you see a TV woman decomposing on asphalt, and when the stranger you see every week tries to open up. Two notes that paint you into a corner until you choose isolation, overeating, and drugs, over honesty, community, and conversation. Bells come in many forms. The crack of a beer, the flick of a lighter, every flag you see hanging, every time Tammy Wu calls you comrade. How do I know if I'm a victim of programming as well? Are you alone? Do you allow yourself to be vulnerable around others? Do you sleepwalk? Do you, do you dissociate while driving, biking, or taking public transportation? Do you take prescription drugs? Do you take recreational drugs? Do you sell drugs? Do you make friends online? Have you sought therapy? Have you met with grief, addiction, or relationship counselors? Have you been sexually assaulted? Are there programmers at other universities? There are too many programmers to count. Some of them don't know who they are programming for. Some of them don't even know that they are programmers. Some of them are put on the news to program us all. Dylan, Eric, James, Adam, and Sung Kee. Elizabeth Holmes was raped at a Stanford frat party before she went out for blood. Both of Mattress Girl's parents are psychiatrists. Her father was a crisis counselor for 9-11 survivors. Apple, meet Tree. Why would they do this to us? Every woman loves a brute. Every campus loves a mattress girl. She makes it look like they aren't in control. No control, no blame. No blame, no shame. Stopping them from using every weakness of human nature to modify behavior and become architects of society. Molding adolescents and young adults into info slaves. We waited on the bleachers to watch how people would react once they started reading the manifesto, but they didn't. Once the free cupcakes ran out, students started leaving the stadium, crumpling paper into the trash. Reagan started to twist her dread, staring into the overhead lights, trying not to blink. I took her hand and walked her to the student union for breakfast. So that was the Reagan Blair Manifesto.
Oh yeah. I feel like I should be clapping. <laughs> Thank you. <sighs> I just love it for so many reasons. I mean, especially that manifesto at the end there. I mean, it's like almost like Valerie Solanas, Andrea Dworkin, but for Dave McGowan, like ooh, <laughs> chef's kiss. Thank you. This one is one of the stories that I was saying earlier, like one day if I'm very brave, I'll tell you how much is fiction. <laughs> um, but I did, I did, I, w I guess I will admit I did have a bad experience in a group therapy setting. Um, and I made a friend who Reagan is based off of shout out to Megan. Very cool girl. Um, and I, I remember thinking that if they really wanted to keep people safe, they're definitely keeping rapists safe. Absolutely. That's, I really do think that, um, on campus sexual assault is some kind of psyop, not the actual, um, I guess the actual incident of it, but also the the constant conversation around it, around the two thousand, the mid two thousand tens. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It was. Think about mattress girl. Mm -hmm. She was everywhere, and both of her parents are very sus psychiatrists. With Wikipedia's, by the way. <laughs> Their names are blue. <laughs> They're definitely blue, and her and her dad um, counseled 9-11 victims, which reminds me a lot of Jolion West. Mm -hmm. For those who, for the listeners out there, Jolion West was involved in uh, basically trauma response to certain like high-profile incidents, such as Oklahoma City bombing. Yes, Jolly West is one of those uh, names that comes up all the time. And he, so he dealt with um, POWs as well. Mm -hmm. And he was a big uh, false memory guy. Mm -hmm. And in the Reagan Blair Manifesto, I basically explore the idea of crisis counselors function is to basically get in front of the narrative and when someone's traumatized they're extremely malleable for a long long time i've thought i've thought about um how both conservative and, and liberal politics love to take advantage of sexual assault um for example, you know, Democratic parties definitely, there's a lot of talk about how, like, oh, Republicans are trying to get you raped. They're trying to, you know, um, they don't believe any of the Me Too stories, etc. And then Republican Party is like, oh, these liberals are ruin city ruining cities, they're making increasing crime. You, you know what I mean? Like, it's it's kind of like a pinball game. Because they know women are so sensitive. It's one of those culture war issues they pass back and forth like guns, basically. Yes. And I think sexual assault 
is 10 times more charged than guns because mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, almost every woman has some kind of experience that makes her have skin in the game in terms of her feelings around it. And traumatized young people are very fertile ground for um, political radicalization in any direction. Mm -hmm. And I remember noticing it happening a lot in college. And I also thought about how um, the foot thing is real, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I was carrying laundry and uh, this guy said that to me in the elevator. Jeez. And I kind of laughed it off, whatever. Um, and I was with a group of people who um, we kind of did a little like language pro club kind of thing where I, I would just speak Russian with them and help them practice. Mm -hmm. And I show up and I'm like, hey, I have a funny story about someone in the elevator who uh, commented on my suckable little piggies <laughs> verbatim, by the way. And this one girl freaks out because a guy had been stalking her and he he knew her shoe size and he knew that she grew up in Blacksburg, Virginia. And he was drilling her about Blacksburg. And this was way before I knew anything about anything. And I remember laughing it off. And then one of my friends who was really into speed and grew went to VA Tech during the shooting one day just gave me this whole rant about it. And I realized Blacksburg is on the map for me now, mm. mentally. And then, okay, this is like getting increasingly schizo, but um, no, go for it. Come on, you're programmed to chill, <laughs> right? And then um, there's this wonderful website that this still exists, um, Fairfax Underground. It's a very low tech forum for people to kind of gossip and talk shit. It's like next door, but only for Nova from like 2008 and super mm. low tech. And there are these crazy threads. It's like super unmoderated. It's the wild fucking West. Um, and I found this one thread all about how Westfield High in Fairfax is a mind control operation. And the OP was just, was comparing it to um, this DARPA lab in Blacksburg. He was comparing it to Northrop Grumman and like different, um, like NSA. Like basically, he was just talking about how you know the NRO and like different uh, three letter three letter agencies were kind of using certain Northern Virginia high schools as training grounds for mind control operations and the more i read about it the more i thought holy shit this is one of the most insane things i've ever read but my mind's open you know mm -hmm. especially because north virginia is fertile ground for that kind of thing are you familiar with the with the burke edmund burke high school shooting the very recent dc one that was filmed POV filmed. It happened in the in the center. Okay, geographically speaking, this high school 
is on one of the busiest roads in D.C., Connecticut Avenue. It is right across from University of D.C. and spitting distance from Observatory Circle and Embassy Row. Hmm. Spitting distance. There was a shooter who filmed, like body cam film. There's footage of this. Mm-hmm. It was available online. Filmed himself shooting into a glass hallway at Edmund Burke High School in D.C., which is, um, for context, it's kind of an interesting school because, um, um, to be perfectly frank, uh, it's for rich kid fuck-ups. It's for anyone who failed out of their school or got kicked out of schools too many times and couldn't get anywhere else. It's it's one of those schools, you know? They got... Mm-hmm. That's the reputation, to be quite honest. It's expensive child storage for your kid who doesn't want to be there. And um, it's it blows my mind that people don't remember this. It got completely memory-holed. Even people who are really in tune with school shootings and people who live here. My friend who lives three blocks away from Edmund Burke forgot this even happened. And when it... (laughs) So, the craziest thing is um, they found pictures of the shooter's apartment and he was... He had a Jakob poster. Okay, I did hear about that. I do. I think I... Yes. (laughs) Um, I'm literally Googling Jakob Poster School Shooter. Hey, NSA. Um, yeah, Washington, D.C. Shooter. Yes, yes, yes. Raymond Spencer. No, he had a Jakob Poster and a bunch of guns. So, in Reagan Blair Manifesto, I, I go and describe at length Tammy Wu's fake bedroom. Mm-hmm. This is a fake bedroom. You know, I, I do have a close friend who is a, um, a set dresser for films. And... I want to interrogate him. Hey, what is like, does this room give you any red flags? Because the poster is so the poster and the guns and the weird card table. And there's no trash can in mm-hmm. this room. Uh, there's, it looks like a hotel. Yeah. That's someone dressed in three minutes. But then a hotel would have a trash can. That's the irony. But like, good point. Yeah. Yeah. No. Cause and he was a Latino with a white name. The media loves doing that. He shot up Edmund Burke. Mm-hmm. It drives me crazy that this school shooting was so sus and got so memory hold. It's like Las Vegas. I'm pretty sure there were no casualties, but I'm but I know kids got um kids got shot at, but I don't know if anyone died. Okay. Because to be fair, and for sure, I'm not, you know, saying that it's not sus, but like, uh, no casualties definitely <laughs> would go right over the heads of most people who are used to Las Vegas levels of carnage. You're right. Yeah. That's actually so sad that, mm-hmm. you know, we blank at a, at a mass shooting if nobody's dead. Yeah. Yeah. But it's true. I also think immigrants are like immigrant men 
in their teens to early 20s are surveilled and sometimes groomed or sometimes framed for these Mm-hmm. types of shootings. Um, I actually know someone who was a refugee from Eastern Europe who told me a really crazy story. And we found the news article about it when we were talking about this, about him. When he was 15 and he was he'd just come over to the United States um you know after a childhood of like huffing glue in eastern europe and and just like really fucked up shit like russia in the 90s fucked up you know um he came across a group of friends in his high school and one day his friend held him and another kid at at gunpoint in the woods and said we can't go back to school and didn't explain why. And it was like this kid that they like smoked weed with. So it was kind of, you know, out of left field, but also they were all a little bit fucked up on various substances and weren't reacting appropriately. But a helicopter starts going over them in the woods. And this is in Maryland. And um, they, <laughs> they all got arrested and interrogated. And basically this kid was going to do a school shooting and chickened out and held his friends at gunpoint because he had written a manifesto and he said that they would help him but they but they were but then the last minute he realized nah if i tell these guys to help me they're not going to help me do the school shooting and it turns out that that kid was like being fucking like groomed online hmm. by some weird like gun enthusiast kid who's pretending to be a teenager just really sus shit just extremely fucking sus shit and i believe i believe my friend's account of everything um and i also believe that you know they're targeting um especially like salvadorian refugees in my area, like they're definitely targeting refugees and immigrants mm-hmm. to participate in this kind of violence. Well, you know what I've said before, and I'm becoming more and more convinced of it, is that like whenever the right wing really latches onto something, and I'm thinking MS 13 in this case, mm-hmm. it's not always that they are just way outsizedly afraid of something you know that otherwise you know is like a real threat but they're blowing it out of proportion it's often sometimes like they know some of the ops that are being played on the back end to exacerbate this real threat you know what i'm saying yeah it's um it's also really confusing to, I guess it's not that confusing. I think, especially when you reread P2K and things like that, the bottom line is that, you know, obviously politics are like at Whole Foods when they have compost, trash, recycling, and then you lift it up and it's all one fucking bin. <laughs> yeah. 
that's that's what politics is right um but especially when you think about vulnerable people when you think of children when you think of immigrants when you think of people who have been manipulated through trauma and pharmaceuticals um it's all the same shit it's all like the same people keep losing over and over and over again you know Mm -hmm. um do you ever think about chandra levy gary condit's teenage sorry not teenage she was in her early 20s um gary condit's lover who ended up dead so chandra levy was a california girl who followed her dream of getting into politics was studying timothy mcveigh by by the way she was um a criminology major who came to dc became a staffer for gary condit and had an affair with him and went missing and her clothes and bones were found in rock creek park in a quite heavily trafficked part of rock creek park a year after she went missing and mind you she went missing in may and dc is disgustingly hot and this heavily trafficked park rock creek park which has dog walkers and joggers and everything uh her decomposing body just laid there without getting identified for a year and then a year later a dog walker found her body but just bones this whole story reeks of fucking bullshit also gary condon's alibi is the fact that he was on c-span when she went missing allegedly mm-hmm. and dick cheney is his other alibi they had lunch And then they found a Salvadorian who barely speaks at all, like Spanish or English. He was, you know, in, in like the interrogation reports, he was very confused and didn't really know what was happening. He barely comprehended his Miranda rights. And apparently he gave a confession to her murder. And then a couple of years later, he was quietly exonerated because there wasn't enough evidence. Hmm. And like the same, it's what I'm saying. The same people keep losing, you know, in PTK over and over and over again, they find some traumatized or like low IQ or like in a couple incidents, they describe um, mass murderers or like, the, you know, they find a house full of dead women. And then there's a mentally challenged black guy nearby who admits to all the murders conveniently. Like Mary Pinchot Meyer, for example, that was um, one of Kennedy's uh, lovers, I guess, who got murdered by someone, and then they found some black guy to pin it on. Yes. And Angleton was like stealing her diary to like, all, it, you know, this whole thing. Oh yes, there's so many Twin Peaks stealing of the diary. Have you noticed that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, I was just, let me see, um, not Dahmer, but before the Dahmer section, they mentioned this, I think Gary, some of the Gary Heidnick murders, maybe, yes, um, okay, 
so on page 257 of Program to Kill, on August 9th, 1987, police raided a local apartment and made a gruesome discovery. The remains of five women were found in a bedroom that had been nailed shut. Another body was found in a closet that had also been nailed shut. Parts of a seventh body were found on the roof of the building and the basement of a neighboring building. A retarded black man named Harrison Marty Graham was taken into custody and dubbed the Madman of Marshall Street. He confessed that his killings had begun the previous winter, about the time that Gary began collecting his victims. Graham also confessed to having committed acts of necrophilia. Officials denied that there were any connections between the Heidnick and Graham cases. Their homes were less than two miles apart. So this is one of many examples in here where there just happened to be an immigrant or a black person that they could pin it on mm-hmm. or someone mentally challenged. Like the same people keep losing. Yeah, no, absolutely.
I want to talk about hypnosis. Yes. So I'm fascinated with hypnosis. I've never been hypnotized. But I'm afraid that I would be one of those people who can be easily hypnotized, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like in Donnie Darko. It's, oh, fuck, I forgot that there's a hypnosis element to Donnie Darko because I haven't watched it in so long. Yes, there is. Forgot about that. Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Donnie Darko is a masterpiece. It's the best movie ever. Like, really? Upon reflection, I'm now... To my great chagrin, realizing that there's uh, several things that immediately come to mind with Donnie Darko. Oh my gosh, it's a masterpiece. Like, Richard Kelly, um, I am dying to to talk to him. I, I have so much to say and ask. <laughs> Between Donnie Darko and Southland Tales. Mm. Have you seen Southland Tales? No, but people keep <gasps> saying I really need to. Okay. So, I will. I, you have to, mm -hmm. you abs, I'm sorry, this is like required reading. Um, no, I, the, the, the stuff I've heard about it make, it's like, okay, yeah, for sure. And also how much of Philip K. Dick have you read? So I read very pre-noited period. I read most of his major works, uh, minus like Velas or whatever. All, I, like all the main short stories and then okay. a couple of the novels, but like not post beginning this project. And I do definitely have complicated feelings about the man, but for sure, like I ought to revisit some of it. I was just wondering because in Southland Tales, they quote him verbatim a couple times. Mm -hmm. And that made me leap out of my seat because it was really no Southland like Richard Kelly is a fascinating man and the couple times when he verbatim quoted Philip K. Dick without admitting it you know it was like woven into dialogue was really fascinating and it's you you just have to see it mm -hmm. oh my god um but hypnosis is really fascinating to me um also, I've just heard people telling me really interesting things about their experiences with hypnosis. Like, someone I know in Russia in the 70s in med school was undergoing hypnosis. And these people would hypnotize them into holding cubes of ice and getting blisters on their hands as if they were burned. And then holding burning coals and having nothing happen because they were told it was ice. Hmm. And there were a lot of experiments like this being done in Russia. And the scariest part was that they actually worked. Hmm. They actually showed results. And throughout PTK, there are so many incidents where people were hypnotized, where um, eyewitnesses were hypnotized, and the incarcerated people were hypnotized and given confessions in that state. Mm -hmm. Fascinating.
it started to come out a little bit that the cops use hypnosis. But what I couldn't believe was when I found out that one of the main ways that you can hypnotize someone is under the guise of lie detector tests. I could not believe that because it's like, oh, why do they keep using lie detector tests if they're not admissible in most courts, if they don't technically work? Well, it's like, okay, if it's a vehicle for hypnotizing people, like, well, there you go. That's one more way that they fucking do that. That makes so I intuitively knew that. Mm -hmm. It makes wow. sense once you yes. say it, right? Like Absolutely. No, that's exactly. Um, it hypnotizes someone into thinking that they are um a common delusion as a result of you know drug psychosis or schizophrenia is feeling like your head is one of those see-through phones in the early 2000s mm -hmm. like you know those plastic phones where you see all the cords and stuff yeah okay like yeah or the game boys i guess you're not a gamer <laughs> Yes, that's a common delusion. I'm not a gamer, but I do have seen them. And lie detector tests do that. Um, and also, it's just so manipulative and like pseudoscience. Mm -hmm. um, it's I love PTK for like revealing so much pseudoscience because I'm a huge fan of pseudoscience. What? <laughs> <You know? laughs> like I, I'm not gonna lie, man. I I love. Um, I love fairy tales and myths and legends and old wives' tales and superstition. I, I love all that kind of stuff. I I include all of it um, whenever I take judgments. But my favorite thing is is uh, stripping down what modern day normal practices are actually pseudoscience. Mm. How blurred the lines are. And so much of the FBI profiling is bullshit. <laughs> it's just fake. <laughs> Mindhunter was such an op because it had such great production and adventure, and it was such a great show. You know, mm -hmm. I, I like, I really enjoyed the show, but then I was just like, I can't get down with it though. Like, <laughs> I mean, that tension was like kind of the one of the instigating factors for the show, obviously. It was almost like the show was just an Ed Kemper PR vehicle. Yeah. Like, everybody loves... Everybody loves Kemper, dude. No, for sure. And, like... <laughs> One time, um, my ex dressed up like Ed Kemper for Halloween after we had already broken up. Mm -hmm. And I hated myself for how much I was like, oh, it's doing it for me. Everybody loves Kemper. <laughs> Everybody loves him so much. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's completely true. It's like everybody loves him and Bundy. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody's so attracted to Ten Buddy and Dahmer. And I mean, this is old news the psychosexual obsession women have with serial killers, myself included. But, you know, it's undeniable. Mm -hmm. Like, there is some kind of weird like we are supposed to know who all these people are by name we're supposed to know every single we're supposed to have a catalog in our minds of serial killer men um like the sufjan steven songs about oh, he was huge for me growing up oh my god i love that song i cry 
Gacy one. I cry. So, oh my god, I cry so hard. Twenty-seven people. <laughs> yeah, and then when he like almost shrieks in horror, but it's like a muted. Oh my god! Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh my oh. god! Yes. And then now, now we have a freaking girl version because there's like the femcell shooter, school shooter girl. Like who? Well, just you know, there's like increasingly more. So there's like. The well, there's the I hate Mondays girl. Then there's like the one, the one lady uh, stalking Chris John. Then there's like one of the O nine A. Obviously, it's like still lower because like obviously I can't just rattle off all their names the way that like we can for the serial killers. But I don't know any of these women. Wow. I'll I'll send you some memes, but <laughs> it's becoming a new thing for sure. See, I think. You know, I, I was like, uh, you know, there has got to be more representation. You know, <laughs> we can't just ha- we only got have you know we we can only have Aileen Warnos. Yeah, which I mean, I love Monster. That's one of my favorite movies, actually. I love Monster, and honestly, I have so much empathy for Aileen Warnos. Mm-hmm. I have so much empathy for her. I I feel terrible for her life and like the way she went down um you know it's just like i think if you took that human being and you plucked them and put them somewhere else they none of that would have happened i don't i don't think about that about every serial killer some of them i really do think that it was in them yeah but i don't think alien war knows but you know what everyone thinks that about every female killer hmm we always have excuses for women. That's really true. Hmm. I actually have to agree with that sentiment, myself included. Well, I guess, like, I would try to argue the point, but, like, I there, I like just not that many come, like, I can't name off that many, so, like, I can't think of that many counterexamples, so, like, I, yeah. Hmm. There's a couple of fucked up ladies in PTK. Even fucking Patty Hearst, not a serial killer, but like even she got off basically. Like, who is the Bundy lady? The um, other Bundy, Carolyn Bundy. I think so. She was pretty fucked up. And then like, um, Heidnik had a female sidekick. Ooh, Carla Hamolka. Fucking Lake and Ang. Yes. Cricket. Fuck. What do you think about Carla Hamolka? By the way, you've never mentioned her. I don't really remember. It, it's it's ironic, right? I've read Program to Kill like three or four times, but like I don't have everyone memorized for sure. She's not. In, she's not in Program to Kill. Oh, well, there you go. Carla uh, Homolka. Let me look her up real quick. What, how do you spell? She. Carla. Homolka. Oh, there we go. Okay. There was a really good Lifetime movie about her, starring Laura Prepon. Hmm. Um, another one of my influences. I I watched a lot of Lifetime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know who she is. Yeah, okay. Of course. But also, like, think about this. Like, what do you get when you cross Hearst and Disney money? Hmm. Lifetime, A and E. Um, what's that show? Criminal Minds, SVU, etc. Yeah. Like. Criminal Minds is so fucking stupid. Like women are supposed to have 
women are supposed to be obsessed with serial killers like supposed to be like Mm -hmm. that's just how it's supposed to be in our culture right it's constantly blasting you even you'll be in like a cancer center or like a hospital and they're blasting criminal lines svu (laughs) and oprah yeah no for sure yeah and like it's funny right because like you know i do my show and like you know every once in a while i do a serial killer series and like my main target in my head sometimes is like the last podcast on the left even though i might think about like the quote-unquote like female serial killer podcasts like i i'm not trying to attack them because like it's not you know i don't want to be like oh you know women are (laughs) too into serial killers but like it's like pretty bad like yeah and it's interesting because it's completely socially acceptable which which mm-hmm. i'm glad actually amongst women there's a there's a really interesting threshold of fucked up shit amongst women like women are really used to bonding over trauma or like mm. dark topics so serial killers are almost at a good it's a good emotional compromise between being very charged emotionally, but also not being very personal because this is like media. This is like general pop culture. Mm -hmm. This isn't like you revealing intimate things about yourself. Um, And also I think women like, okay. Like I feel like from ages like 12 to probably 22 like a good decade of every woman's life, you get an insane amount of sexual tension that is just so hard to avoid. And you kind of like learn to like shape your life around it, kind of take it for granted, like this low hum in the background. And then all of a sudden you realize that like, if you share this outside of close female circles you're called like a narcissist or like obsessed or like delusional or like you know people love to do this on the internet which granted filming tiktoks of yourself in the gym is like just don't i don't know just don't do it inadvisable <laughs> you know well you know what i mean like you know just like the people are like oh look at these people looking at me I'm like okay well Let's 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 move on from this. Like, you're in the fucking gym. Everyone's wearing spandex. Everyone's checking everybody out. There's an element of that, you know. But I do I do think that you know women get a lot of fucking flack if they dare admit anything about this. And something that's kind of interesting in Program to Kill is like this constant repetition of like people reporting crimes, mm-hmm. people doing everything right. And then getting pushed away and pushed away. The uh, the Dahmer situation is probably the most egregious and like standout example, right? I mean, the Heidnik too, and all of yeah. the houses where um, the common thread is pornography. Pornography right. is completely state state sanctioned. Yes, and there's this huge fucking whitewash about the history of pornography because it was always fucking. It was always spooked up. It was always mobbed up. And the histories of, you know, Hugh Hefner, Larry Flint, all of these people, you know, 
Guccione, like all these people are incredibly sus individuals. Yeah. And there's no acknowledgement of like the fact that like Hefner was running a fucking like Epstein operation, basically. It's completely normal. Mm -hmm. It's completely normal. And it's interesting to compare it to things like beheading videos and how early internet there are all these viral things that were just gross or violent or like yeah. really really shocking to the eyes um and just all the stuff was so normal like we're so desensitized um like girls gone wild was like on normal tv mm -hmm. like previews for it stuff like that oh you know like i think like sometimes you hear people call this like the vulgar wave or whatever you know like south park family guy mm -hmm. and that all came to a sudden halt and a lot of people who grew up on that didn't really know where to channel all that angry energy and i think we have a lot of like kind of fucked up gen x people because of that <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like when society stopped venting. Yeah. No, for sure. And it's funny because, like, I've only done a little bit of digging, but, like, one of the reasons why, like, in the early aughts, all the music stopped being, like, Limp Biscuit bullshit and started being, like, Imagine Dragons bullshit or, like, Mumford and Sons or whatever the fuck. Horrible, by the way. I Give me, give me that Limp Biscuit over that shit. <laughs> every day oh my god limbus get new metal that's my shit fuck imagine dragons well yeah absolutely because like a bunch <laughs> of fucking like mormon private equity firms bought stuff and then guess who's on the top of the charts is fucking imagine dragons along with you know just more more pop basically okay whole time though um the killers and cascade Mm -hmm. Mormon excellence. <laughs> Listen, like, it's not always bad. Okay, that's uh, that is Mormon excellence. Imagine if I was a Mormon and I had like Mormon money, like <laughs> <laughs> I would write so many books. Listen, this is very imaginable for me, and it's like <laughs> no, those people don't make anything. It sucks. I mean, they do write books; they just all suck ass, though. So. Yeah, it's like, okay, write this book with a no coffee, no alcohol, no nothing. One day, just, I, I like, yeah. I want to send you a link just to check out the kind of books that, like, the Mormon publisher publishes. <laughs> you will, you would have such a fun time just like looking at the insanity, just the most whack novels. Like, you, you have no idea. I love um, peeking in like little free libraries and. Mm -hmm all the fucking like like self-published or just like really bad fiction mm -hmm. there's so many novels that are like some woman's vanity project and the cover is like her squeezing a peach mm -hmm. and i'm just like uh, yeah there's so much of that man right now well, i mean half the fucking economy is women's vanity projects from like some horrible husband who like is a defense contractor and then the wife quote unquote designs jewelry lord i've seen what you've done for others <laughs> <laughs> you god give me that vanity project money oof 
y'all will get so many stupid ass little like short story collections and novels from me i promise <laughs> <laughs> no watch me like just like hitchhike to the mormon temple <laughs> cross the surrender dorothy bridge no i'm just kidding i unfortunately am um i'm russian orthodox and we don't have a ton of nice. artists coming out of that religion think about it okay tarkovsky was orthodox though mm. but tarkovsky was actually i think he was an outlier in so many ways yeah i think um he's one of the smartest people to have ever lived and like Like, everyone needs to read Sculpting in Time by Andrei Tarkovsky. Mm. I can't summarize it with my words, but everyone needs to read it. You notice how um, we have the same sort of problems. Like, suddenly we have overdoses on drugs. Uh, mm. Lowered life expectancy. Um, prostitution and sex work are more ubiquitous. Like in the 90s in Russia. Um, if you haven't seen the movie Lilia Forever. And I was reading about it because I hadn't heard of it. And that, that sounds sounds wild. Lilia Forever is really upsetting, sad, dark film about CIS nations in Russia in the 90s. So Lilia is from Estonia. And... Basically, it talks about, you know, sex trafficking in that time. And you can sort of compare it to now in the United States. Not to that degree, but it almost seems like it's going there where there's a lot of chaos in cities and there's a lot of sex trafficking and there's a lot of unemployment and crime and not a huge incentive or even opportunity for people to find better jobs in a lot of scenarios. Um, just like the way that poverty is like decimating urban areas. Um, and it's really eerie because that was all happening in Eastern Europe in the 90s to a huge degree. And now Eastern Europe is in a lot better shape than it was back then. And we're suffering like an economic downturn. Mm -hmm. Like the wheel, you know, Fortuna. Like, the spoke is pressing on our neck this year. And then in a couple of years, it'll probably get worse in Eastern Europe. Yeah, no. I remember when, I think it was in the 20, around maybe 2020, when <laughs> Russia played the end of, uh, I think it was either Brought or Brought 2. <laughs> and they played the song, like, Goodbye America, and they were <laughs> setting it to the images of various riots in different cities, like... Which, um, I haven't seen that. Was it Lasha Dumbai? Or like... What's that? Was it like a pop song? Yes. It was a very poppy song. Wait, was it like, um, had it, was it like Verka Serdushka? Like, um, oh my god, how does that song go? It's like... That sounded like it, but, and there is definitely the English phrase, goodbye America. And then like the rest, mm -hmm. you know, the rest of the song is in Russian. Nice. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. <laughs> I need to watch those. I they're I'm so good. A... They're so good. Like, yeah. I mean, obviously, it's some of the few Russian films that aren't like Tarkovsky that I've seen. But like, 
or like Soviet war movies or something, but like they're so good. <laughs> Have you seen um Gentleman of Fortune? Mm-mm. Gentleman Udachi. It's you would love it. Everyone needs to see it. It's like one of the the most famous Russian movies. Um and it's about a couple of buddies who escape from prison together Ooh. and they go into the sauna together. It's like a buddy comedy and it's really fucking funny and sweet and wholesome. <laughs> and it has a little bit, it touches a little bit on like Soviet prison culture. And it's, it's just like so heartwarming. Honestly, <laughs> I recommend it to everybody. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I'll check it out because I have that uh, whatever that streaming channel, Soviet film. I think it's Mosfilm. Mosfilm. Yeah, something. Yeah, and like it's just like all of them. So, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, I was born in Moscow, and like that statue is so sentimental. Mm-hmm. And the Mosfilm. Yeah. Not just because the TV, just also just seeing it, you know. Yeah, every time it comes up in the start of a movie, it's like, ah, nice. It's about to be good. Yeah, it's like that Janus Films. Yeah. <laughs> Janus Films crest. Oh, yeah. It's about to be great. Definitely. It was really good talking to you. Definitely. So you're going to have to write that novel, several novels. You'll have to come back, obviously. I have two novels cooking. Mm. And they're both almost done. Just so scary. Novels are so difficult because of all the continuity and all the thoughts you have to organize. Short stories are so much digestible. I can't Mm. wait to put out another collection of them. Yeah. And how are you like in Apocalypse Confidential? Oh, I have had such a good experience with Apcon. I can't imagine publishing my first book with anyone else. Uh, shout out to Bill and Mark Wadley from Bruiser for being incredible at design. Mm-hmm. Um, Bill has such good taste. Like, if you guys haven't seen the Pale Townie cover, Bill whipped that up. It's beautiful. Um, it's just, it's been a great experience. And I'm, I don't know, I'm so happy to have it under my belt and to have mm-hmm. it out. I worked really hard last winter polishing that up oh yeah definitely so hopefully people will look back on this interview and be like this was the first of a appearance for your great literary career definitely definitely and um this is my favorite podcast by far oh thank you especially um i love novels as bycraft episodes and I love the James, the Jonestown episodes. Mm, yeah. Shout out Marcus for sure. Because that was Definitely. very fun. <laughs> Those were great. Absolutely. But yeah, it was great talking to you. Yes. Where can people get your book? So it's a, there's a link in my bio. And it's on Amazon. It's on, also on bookshop.com. Through a bookstore that's local to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll put that link up somewhere. I'll put it in the show notes for sure. Thank you so much.
Oh uh-huh. 